0: life's so full on i've been working on this deck for ages these steaks don't cook themselves you know life's good with a trex deck composite decking made from 95 percent recycled materials that won't rot stain or fade trex the world's number one decking
1: brand g'day mike Hussey here but you can call me mr supercoach kfc supercoach bbl is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs so what are you waiting for play today at supercoach.com.au
0: T's and C's apply, New South Wales, authorisation number tp slash 01005. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Hello,
2: Moreno in New Zealand, good morning to you. It's Ian Smith here between 9 and 12 this morning with a very busy show dominated by golf in the first hour. We're talking to Ryan Fox, fresh from the Dunhill with Shane Warne. Uh, Phil Tauterangi just after 9.30, and then we're moving into basketball with the Breakers head coach, Dan Shamir. A lot of signings recently, so uh, an interesting time and uh, the development of the Breakers with the new season pending. Mark Hinton, Jeff McTainch on the panel with us this morning. Louis Herman Watt and Brendan Popperwell just before 11 o'clock with uh, TAB and Racing News. Uh, and then after 11 o'clock, we're going to go to Christchurch to Tim Mills. Tim Mills is the boss of uh, the Canterbury Jockey Club. What about the decision yesterday uh, in terms of no help down south uh, for him planning his carnival? It's the lifeblood. What about it? Uh, so how are they feeling? Got a new synthetic track too. Hope they're able to use it. That's coming up here between 9 and 12.
1: Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's sermon.
2: It's a bit of a whingy Tuesday, this one. Uh, Little or no comfort for bigger organisers in yesterday's revelations from the pulpit. Hopes not crushed but severely dented as to the chances of life's blood being allowed to flow. For those living and organising in the South Island, the rules and regulations and restrictions are bordering on bizarre. By the time Cup Week is due, it will be nigh on 340 days since the last case of COVID reared its ugly head anywhere near the Garden City that they continue to be held to economic and social ransom by a handful of churchgoers and gang members in the North Island who haven't played by the rules. There's a thing, gang members not playing by the rules. Unlikely to see jab in their good book. So if you can play a Bledisloe Cup in Auckland with economic exemptions and a netball series in Christchurch can be played with a full complement for economic benefits, where exactly does Cup Week and the famed AMP shows it economically for the good people down there. For so many, it's their life's blood. What makes them and their wheels keep turning? They're not asking to thrive, more like just survive. It is to be hoped that the Ministries of Sport and Racing and those responsible for local development and welfare and agri- agriculture are fighting a very strong case here for a very strong cause. Give them hope, give them the right to plan and go ahead with their special week. Bring the occasion back into their lives and let the South Island embrace it. Hell, it's not as if they don't deserve a break for events over the last decade down there. And if that doesn't help, just give Bishop Tamaki a drive in the first race. That'll make sure it goes ahead. And when Scotty Barrett and Paddy Topalopo get home shortly, I am finally forming a three-way lotto syndicate with them. I read yesterday where both had won ballots in the latest MIQ raffle to get home. Now, the odds are so thin on that, two people from the sound town getting an MIQ raffle, let alone two people in the same bloody scrum. I'm forming a syndicate with them because they are sensationally lucky. Now, that is divine divine intervention at its highest level. And that's what Christchurch needs now. Well, it's been a great week uh, for Ryan Fox. Good 10 days or so, actually. The life's turned around a wee bit for him, and, and that is great news. Uh, he's made the cut at the Alfred Dunhill, uh, won the Pro-Am side of it with Shane Warne. Uh, he got uh, an MIQ spot, which I think was probably the highest thing on his agenda, so he and his family can come home. And uh, I'm pretty sure he's a good deal happier than the last time we spoke to him when he didn't have that luxury. Uh, Ryan Fox, good morning to you. Morning, Smitty. Yeah, thanks for coming on, mate. Uh, what What is the bigger relief, getting the out uh, the car all sewn up, uh, or getting the news that you're allowed to come home with your family?
3: Um, to be fair, it's pretty hard to choose between the two. Obviously, uh, having a dog next year is is very important for me. But um, you know, get being able to get home and um, you know. See the family and and you know, have my wife get some support and stuff like that is, is massively important too and um, sort of one couldn't kind of happen without the other at the moment. Um, I, ser- I certainly wasn't prepared to leave leave the UK early or leave Europe early without having the job. Um, so it was yeah sort of yeah uh, yeah it's been a, been a pretty tough road uh, the last few months but it's yeah nice to nice to have everything sewn up and, and know, you know I'm going to be home for Christmas at least.
2: How much was that on your mind as you're preparing for tournament after tournament? Because I mean, golf is so much about getting your head in the right space and and getting everything in order. I mean, how how hard was it to concentrate for you know the the prep uh, the prep on on uh, playing day and then of course the four hours or so on on course?
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely weighing on me. Um, you know, not just whether I could get home, but even earlier in the year whether you know when I would see my family again if they could come to events and um, all of that stuff so in terms of off the course stuff this has been a pretty brutal year and you know as much as you try not to think about it on the golf course and you know, certainly not in the front of my mind it's um, you know it's always kind of a topic of conversation it's it's always something you can't quite get away from and it's always that that sort of niggle in the in the back of your head somewhere and um, yeah, you know, I, I really struggle with that most of the year. I you know, certainly hasn't helped my performance at all. And um, you know, I've, in some respects, done a decent job of forgetting about it. And in other respects, mm. it's, it, it has hurt me quite a bit. And um, you know, who knows if, if things were a little bit easier this year? You know, my my golf game feels like it's been in good shape. And I, you know, maybe that would that could that was a thing that was holding me back a little bit.
2: Uh, if anything can uh, take your mind off things. Uh, outside of the little world that you live in, um, spending a week with Shane Warnwood, I would imagine. So how was that week? I mean, successfully, Why well, it couldn't have gone better. I watched the uh, the closing stages of round four when he sunk a couple of snakes, and uh, you you, died, you jumped in with a birdie on the last. That was, what a week for you guys.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I talked to him about it afterwards, and we kind of feel like the Black Caps. Unfortunately, we, uh, we lost on a count back. Um, so he kind of gets to know how our whole country felt in 2019, um, losing on a technicality in that World Cup. But, um, you know, it was a great week. Uh, you know, I get along really well with Warney. I've played a lot of golf with him the last few years. And, um, you know, personally for me, growing up a cricket fan and bowling a little bit of legs, but he was an idol growing up. So, to, um, you know, to get a chance to play with him and, and you know, just a, a lot of uh, the other cricketers this week as well, appearing from Michael Vaughan. Uh, Mark Nicholas and Ian Botham. So, you know, a pretty cool experience for me. And, um, you know, that was a lot of fun on the golf course. Pity my golf wasn't that great. But, uh, you know, Warney carried me most of the way, to be honest.
2: Well, Warney's a character at the best of times. And, of course, you get, as you say, you get on with him well, which included a little bit of banter around uh, the Indian cricket team, his regard for them being the best in the world, and you defending our world champions at the time. So uh, that would have helped things, and and you actually found out in a in a way I suppose too about the passion of Indian cricket fans, didn't you?
3: Yeah, that the passion of Indian cricket fans sort of took me by surprise a little bit. I, you know, I know, I know they're um, on the don't enough crazy is the right word, but passionate, very passionate side, and um, yeah, you know, I just thought I'd throw a a snide comment at Warney. Um, after he was praising the Indian team and just making sure that he remembered that that we'd beaten them in the in the uh, World Test Championship final, I did nothing. You know, didn't say anything bad about the Indian cricket team at all. Just pointed out a fact, and I, I think I copped abuse for about a month on Twitter. So I've learnt my lesson there. Don't ever say anything that could offend Indian cricket fans, and um, yeah, I think I'll stay away from that. I know Warnie's probably got about twenty twenty million of them or something following him on Twitter, so I won't be doing that again.
2: Yeah, and he, he knows how to play the game. Don't worry about that, to keep them on side. He's, very, he's been very good at oh, that yes, over the years. Yes, he uh, hey, mate. <laughs> uh, Ryan, let, let's talk about your game as such. I mean, you know, you're hitting the ball well. You're striking at long distances, which you're known for. W- what has been the bit of it that's uh, been holding you back?
3: Um, it's been a little bit of everything this year, to be honest. Um, my iron play probably hasn't been as good as it has been in previous years. Um can't quite put my finger on what's going on there. Um, yeah, I've I've driven the ball relatively nicely the whole time I've been over here, and um, you know the putters had uh, weeks where it's been extremely hot. I've probably had a couple of my best putting weeks on tour with some pretty average ball striking thrown in, and vice versa. Last week I had a terrible putting week and actually a pretty decent week of ball striking. So yeah, it's pretty hard to put my my finger on what's going on. Um, you know, there's probably some of the off-the-course off stuff that's been getting to me. Obviously, you know, the MIQ situation, the, all the travel situation, just, you know, everything is a lot harder this year than than what it is normally. Um, and I guess, you know, compare that to last year when you knew everything was messed up. Just being able to play was a bonus. But, you know, we've had silly rules where in the UK and Europe, our vaccine... From New Zealand, even though it's exactly the same vaccine, hasn't counted, and we've had more restrictions and players that have been vaccinated in Europe or the US, and you know there's lots of stuff like that that just gets on your nerves. And I guess there's probably been you know, a lot of that just in the back of the head, making preparation just a little bit harder, um, mentally not quite there, not you know not quite free, if that makes sense. And um, you know put all that together, and it equates to you know, a pretty average year, to be honest.
2: So, uh, I know it's only early days, but you, you've got to be planning. You know you've got your job back. You know you're going to be heading back. Um, what's, what? How long will you be be back at home before you, you look to get... Because there's not a lot of break in between tours as such. So you sort of end one week, and it almost starts the next week. So when do you anticipate, perhaps, rejoining the European PGA Tour?
3: Yeah, well, for us, I mean, we finish our last tournament of the, of the season is the end of November 20, I think it finished on the 21st and the first week of the new seasons in South Africa the following week. Um, so I'll definitely be skipping those events in South Africa. Um, you know, certainly don't want to be out of, out of quarantine for a week and a half and leave again. So uh, I think we've got a bit of a break over Christmas and as far as I know, we're starting up in the Middle East, I think mid-January. Um, so I should have a good six weeks at home and, have a bit of a rest and um, you know work on my game there and I guess for the rest of the plan you know, the two are still um, you know firming plans for the rest of their season um, you know there's a there's one event still to be added I think um, so you know they haven't really got too far into next season so I'm not really sure what what else is there after the Middle East and you know I guess some of my planning also will depend on you know what's happening with the Miq home quarantine all that situation. Yeah. Um, having done Miq twice and about to do it a third time, you know, I'm certainly not keen to, to go overseas for a couple of weeks and you know scramble for a spot and have to do it again. So um, yeah, who knows what what that's going to look like January next year, but uh, or February next year. But hopefully there's there's some positive news on that front.
2: And I guess uh, for you personally, I mean you've got family within inside the Auckland boundaries at the moment. Your golf coach and such, as such, Marcus Wheelhouse, is within the Auckland boundaries. But then again, there's the restrictions of there. Uh, would you base yourself? Anticipate basing yourself within Auckland, or will you perhaps go, you know, down to the Mount or somewhere down that area um, and perhaps have a bit more freedom? What What would be the ideal for you?
3: Um, at the moment, I'm in Auckland. Auckland will be where we're at. All our families in Auckland. Um, you know, Marcus is there, as you said, um, you know, and looking at the restrictions it looks like they've allowed fishing um, from today or or Tuesday (laughs) or whenever it is and um, you know we can still do I think golf's been allowed in level three the whole time so that kind of ticks my two boxes and you know hopefully by the time we get home you know we can we can meet up with family no problem and you know that's probably the three things that I'd I'd really want to do obviously catching up with friends as well Um, and you know hopefully again you know in the lead up to Christmas everything opens up a little bit and some of those restrictions are eased and we can do that kind of stuff and um yeah as long as i can golf fish and and catch up with the family i'm not i'm not too fussed with with the rest of it i mean it's even though we're not in lockdown over here we kind of don't really do much so it it feels feels the same way in that sense so Mm. you know kind of used to that and um you know i'll just be happy to be home to be
2: honest we're doing this um, uh, thing today on our show, uh, Fathers and Sons, famous fathers and sons in sport around the world, um, which brings up um, an interesting uh, scenario. I've been through it a little bit myself, but not to the same level as, as you and Grant. The son-of syndrome. You know when you were making a decision on sport, etc., when you were going forward, way, way back, you chose golf. Um, was there a, a son-of factor in your life in those days, having, having to to be brought up and to live under the shadow of that?
4: Uh, not
3: really, to be honest. I guess I didn't really know any difference. So, you know, in that mm. sense, you got used to, you know, people walking down the street, oh, that's Grant Fox, or, you know, getting to a rugby game, and, oh, that's Grant Fox's son. I guess the only thing that I that probably hurt me a bit, is I used to hear, let's smash Foxy's son, which I ended up <laughs> on the receiving end of, of that in a bit of rugby. Uh, over the years but um yeah you know, other than that it, you know I was really proud of what, what dad did and um you know I, unfortunately I probably don't remember a lot of him playing I think I was 5 or 6 when he retired um mm-hmm. but you know just to to have that connection with rugby's very cool he he coached me the whole way growing up basically um first 15 rugby most of the club teams I played with as a youngster he was involved in at some level so I think that was that was awesome that he could be a part of that and I think um it might have been a bit frustrating for me at times you know when you're a kid you don't sometimes want to listen to dad but I think all the uh um, you know all the other kids in the team really enjoyed it and maybe not enjoyed being on the wrong side of one of his rants when they were a little bit older but um, that was all for good reason no doubt but um yeah it was pretty cool and I guess you know going into golf um it didn't there wasn't too many parallels in that sense. Um, I, I might have got a bit more exposure early on, especially when Dad was caddying for me, but um, you know, I think forging my own path in golf probably made things a little bit easier. I, you know, if I think if I had tried to carry on with rugby and you know, play first five and kick goals like I used to do, there would have been a pretty tough comparison. I don't think I could have ever lived up to his reputation in that sense, but golf made everything a little bit easier.
2: Cool. Um, just finally, uh, any more events before you come home, mate?
3: yeah i've got three events in spain the next three weeks flying out tomorrow one in madrid one in uh, san roque at um, valderrama and then one in um cool. majorca uh, so hopefully three nice weeks of warm sunny weather and then uh back to london for a half a day and and on a flight and in a hotel for two weeks at home but i um, certainly can't wait to to get home and um you know looking forward to the next three events and um yeah, you know, hopefully with everything a bit more freed up in my head, I can I can play a little bit better.
2: I'm sure you've got a couple of pretty, uh, at least uh, maybe more eager grandparents waiting as well uh, for you at home, mate. So, hey, all the best. Uh, thank you uh, so much for making some time available. Good week and uh, good luck in the next uh, three events. Uh, and hopefully catch up with you when you're at home. Thank you, Ryan.
3: Cheers, Smithy. Appreciate it.
2: Yeah, cheers. That's Ryan Fox, folks, uh, live out of the UK. And uh, yeah, there's um, there's still some determination. You can hear the determination in the the voice. And I think you'll find now that he's got things pretty much in order socially uh, in terms of getting home and everything is organised, I think we'll just see uh, maybe some pretty good finishes in the next three weeks in Spain and that beautiful sunshine there um, with uh, that in the back of your mind. Right, today, double eight double three is our text number. Uh, well, it always is, actually, not just today, but 0800-1508-11 uh, is the phone number. John Day are gonna have, uh, and I are going to have Mount Rushmore. Famous fathers and sons combinations in sport. Famous fathers and sons in any any of those uh, sporting areas which you like or perhaps you don't like but you've heard of. Give us uh, some combinations in your mind that should make our top four each. It's 921 here on
0: SCNZ. You're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Yeah,
2: and don't forget, don't forget, Text of the Week wins a Temper pillow worth $299, and the best text of the month will win Tempa Queen package, uh, and that includes a, a Temper Queen mattress, a Temper Queen adjustable bed base, and two Temper pillows. Now, that is valued, believe it or not, $10,000. It's worth it. Man, just have a go. Um, but you don't need the incentive of that at the moment, apparently, because uh, over the last couple of days you've been hot. Uh, totally agree with your comments, uh, Smithy, about racing. I had a horse racing at Timaru on Sunday. Uh, and with owners only allowed on course, there was hardly anyone there, hence no excitement or cheering at the finish of races. Does she not realise how much money racing puts into the government? This is Pete from Rangiora now. I had a beer with John Wheeler. Uh, who's a fantastic man, great horse trainer with uh, a pedigree second to none, really, in this country for what he's done for racing in New Zealand and Australia and around the world, in fact. And uh, Wheels was saying uh, in a speech that uh, over 30,000 people, over 30,000 people are employed in the racing industry. Does that not deserve some consideration? Uh, Yeah, I agree, totally agree. Uh, Let Cup Week go ahead. So, well said in your spiel. Uh, a lot of people sympathise with that, and I, I just don't get it. Over 300 days, it'll be nigh on a year, you know, a year. Uh, Smithy Graham and Damon Hill, the only father and son to win Formula One World Championship. Mm, interesting one, hadn't got them on my list. Have to think about it. Thanks for getting Ryan on. He is such an ambassador for New Zealand. I've always been a huge fan, so really hoping he can get a, a great run of form next year and win a couple of trophies. Yeah, certainly the best is uh, yet to come. He's had a great career already when you think how hard it is. Uh, but he is uh, really, I think, best in four. Uh, something really big next year on forecasting. Uh, I love how Ryan speaks. What a good representation of a Kiwi athlete. Hugh says that's from Goose. Hugh, Hugh says Ryan played for Beachland's Junior rug, Junior Boys Rugby. Um, it's all that sort of thing. Um, you know, Coming in in support of, of Ryan Fox. Uh, and... Another one coming in saying, thanks for getting uh, Ryan on. He's such, yeah, he's he's got good things coming for him anyway. So a a number of texts there. And and also, um, uh, don't forget uh, your combinations of father and sons. Father and sons. John, uh, did you find it hard getting your list or haven't you finished it yet?
0: I've found it really hard, Smithy. I don't know why. Um, Maybe I just don't know enough about the old school Uh, sport but I've I've found it a little bit difficult there's so many in New Zealand alone Um, but finding those real elite ones those four best ones that you want to put on your own Mount Rushmore I'm finding quite difficult to shake down so I've got quite an eclectic mix so far smithy ranging from a a lot of different sports so how are you finding it
2: well I find it uh, pretty hard to differentiate I'll tell you what is very powerful in fathers and son combinations Motor racing, really very powerful down the years. You you know you think of some of the great names that I haven't got on my list, which could easily be on the list. I've got one father father son combination on my list. Uh, I got a cricket one, obviously. Uh, I have a boxing and NFL one as well, and uh, a football one. So I'll, I you know I've, I'm I've gone uh, across eclectic to use a word uh, your word, join. I've, I've gone across the board, try to consider all those different avenues coming in, but man. I've missed some. I clearly have missed some. Damn, Graham Hill, Damon, I never even thought of that. So uh, there's, and I really look forward to our listeners coming in with some as well. So 9.30 here on SENZ. Uh, and we've got Phil Totaringa to continue the golfing theme after the news. The all-new SENZ is Kiwi for Sport.
5: Taking SNZ News this hour, the Government has announced a three-stage phase for easing restrictions in Auckland. Step one allows for Aucklanders to travel throughout the region for recreation and daycares to open for all kids. It also allows for two households up to a maximum of ten to get together but only outside. This can happen from tomorrow. But Waiheke Islanders want to pretend they're not Aucklanders and want to bring in a localised border. Locals fear the easing of COVID alert level restrictions could see thousands of city-siders flocking to Waiheke. From midnight Tonight, people can move around Auckland for beach visits, picnics or fishing. The chair of Waiheke's local board, Kath Handley, has written to the government to formally request a border be put in place. A COVID-positive man who escaped from jet park quarantine has been arrested. The man escaped around three o'clock yesterday afternoon and was found half an hour later outside a house in Māngere. He's in police custody and will appear in court this morning. SENZ radio.nz Sport coming up.
1: Not happy with your hair loss? Make today your turning point and search Ashley and Martin online.
5: Manu Samoa's rugby elite and their Sevens team have withdrawn from their Northern Hemisphere tour and the Sevens World Series in Dubai, citing COVID-related challenges. And Netball New Zealand has confirmed it's moved the Netball Series between the Silver Ferns and the Aotearoa men from Hamilton to TSB Arena in Wellington due to Waikato's uh, current alert levels.
1: Everything that's happening in sport, SENZradio.nz
5: A mix of sunshine and showers for all of New Zealand today. Fine breaks, especially for the Upper North Island and the capital. Thunderstorms for Nelson, but fine and isolated showers for the rest of the South Island. And today from Ford Drive with Kirsty and Beaver on SENZ.
2: Well, from uh, one lot of golfing royalty to another, we've uh, just had Ryan Fox on the line and a great uh, chat with him about uh, life within his golfing bubble at the moment and uh, better news for him. And now uh, we're joined by Phil Tosringi. Of course, you can tee it up with Phil. Saturday mornings at 7am and uh, get all your information there. But we love to chat to him during the week as well, particularly after the weekend that was in golf. Uh, first of all, we'll stay on the subject, uh, Phil, good morning to you, of uh, Ryan Fox. Uh, he gets his MIQ spot, uh, he finishes really well with Warnie, so hopefully things have turned around a wee bit for him.
4: Yeah, morning Smithy, you're right, I enjoyed uh, listening to that actually. Um, Ryan's first and foremost great with, with the media um, all around, and uh, a couple of your uh, listeners have, have made point of that, and so I think he should be commended for um, just the way he makes himself available Shares some of uh, what's going on 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 his mind. Gives some of those people that are following him back here from afar a few insights into um, into some of the things you don't see on TV or you don't hear on the broadcast. And so um, he should be commended for um, for just how available he makes himself. Yeah, I I am absolutely certain um, whether it actually pays off for him In the next three weeks, as he mentioned, got three three tournaments in Spain before jumping on the bird to come home, and and great that he's managed to get a spot. Um, But I'm with you, and I think there are um, better things ahead for Ryan. This was always going to be a tough season, I felt, for him. Schedule-wise, being a new dad, uh, all the uncertainty as to when his family would be able to get over and and join him in, in the UK, when he would be able to get home, all of the restrictions, etc., etc. it was always going to be a tough year schedule-wise. Uh, and as he mentioned, that's been in the back of his mind and most of it has impacted his play. So whether those good things come in the next three weeks or whether it's actually being able to get home, reconnect with family, kind of reset everything, um, um, you know, I, I hope there's a lot of success for Ryder in the near future.
2: Let's stay uh, at the Dunhill uh, for a little while because uh, Danny Willett, uh, was uh, the winner of the pro event, the actual Alfred Dunhill Championship, winning it uh, comfortably in the end. Uh, down the stretch, there was a bit of pressure on him, but he withstood that. Um, now, Danny Willett's a good story in his, his own right. Here's this bloke who all of a sudden won the Masters, and it was Danny who around the world of golf. Uh, and then he sort of faded away. Uh, you know, his game sort of disappeared on him, and uh, now it appears that he's pretty, ba- he's pretty much back again.
4: Yeah, look, he's had a pitchy career all the way around, actually. He's kind of a a promising amateur, um, came and spent some time in the States, that kind of uh, didn't take off how he we, how we thought it would, went back to the European Tour, retooled, and, and a lot of people maybe don't know this, but when he, he won that Masters event what, five, time, five years ago, he was actually the 10th ranked player in the world at the time, so maybe the quietest 10th ranked player, top 10 player in the world, and he managed to walk through the door that, that Jordan Spieth opened for him, um, but you know, as, as often as the case, and I think Cambo even talked about this, when a major championship maybe jumps up on you maybe a little bit sooner than you first thought, you can get a little bit lost with your career. Uh, obviously, all of the attractions, all the events, uh, all of the cash uh, that comes your way can sometimes cause you to lose your uh, lose yourself a little bit. And I think Danny Willett did that. He had a tough time actually even finding a cat. He found himself getting to be a bloody grumpy player on the golf course. And and so, you know, sometimes life is has a, has a, an interesting way of kind of retooling, resetting. He's, he's gone through a lot of swing changes in the last couple of years. I was just reading about the season that he's had. He had a hernia. He's had an appendectomy. He had a couple of other different injuries, um, all sorts of family things going on. So... Um, been two years out of the winner's circle. The last one he had was the the flagship event on the European Tour, the BMW PGA, and now he's won at the old course, and and he certainly spoke about how it's been a bit of a tumultuous uh, old couple of years, but uh, at 34 years of age, winning on his birthday at the old course, maybe doesn't get Mm. much better than that.
2: Hell no. Hell no. Um, Now, we spoke to uh, uh, Stephen Elker since the last time uh, we have talked. Fascinating interview. What a terrific guy he is, and what a great story. Uh, 600k in the last four or five weeks, which is which is great for him, being a, a real tradesman, uh, you know, throughout his uh, PGA career. Um, so that was a good story. Uh, going straight into the Champions Tour, trying to uh, as soon as his birthday ticked over. I know this bloke who. Turns 50 on the 31st of October this year. <laughs> I just wonder if uh, I just wonder if he ever considered that. I mean, one of his great buddies, Michael Campbell, thought about uh, the seniors tour. So I just I just wonder if this bloke ever considered it or is considering it.
4: There's been a little bit of talk around the uh, around the kitchen, around the dinner table, about this this guy um, maybe dusting off uh, dusting off his boots and clubs. There's a fair bit of dust on them. I must admit maybe, <laughs> so it might take a little bit of, a bit of dusting off, but um, look, throughout my, my career, it never really interested me, to be fair, I, I was maybe more interested in getting to the stage of my, um, my playing career and, and entering other different things, getting, getting into other things around the game, which I have done over the last handful of years or so, and really enjoy doing that that doesn't mean that when you, a couple of your really good mates are out there having a good time, that going and hanging out with them and, and making a couple of double bogeys and uh, kicking yourself in the foot and maybe making a couple of birdies here and there wouldn't be uh, a bit of fun. So um, undecided about that guy that you're talking about, undecided, but um, but it might be a little bit of fun and it's certainly uh, great to see Steve-O who... Has been a battler, uh, you know. Near on three years, he's um, he's played professionally, and uh, it's fair to say, maybe didn't have all the success that that he would have hoped for in his younger professional career. But the last month or so on the old boys circuit, he's uh, he's made up for it. He's going to be able to buy a few Christmas presents with what he's made. But more than anything. Um, the, the longevity of his career. He stayed healthy. Um, he stayed in love with the game too. And it, it hasn't all, all been buddy roses for Steve Arca, but it's great to see him having a bit of success here. I wouldn't be at all surprised if he didn't pick up a winner here before they um, they finish out the senior tour season in about a month's time.
2: Uh, we always uh, tend to gloss over things that, that normally happen in our lives because of this pandemic. We forget about um, little things uh, in our particular field. So it got me to thinking about young golfers in New Zealand at the moment in this pandemic situation. Normally there's the odd uh, circuit, is it the Charles Tour, etc. What is What is happening for our young guys who are trying to make their way in the game as tournament pros? Is there anything on?
4: Put it this way, Smithy. If they can't run Cup Week uh, with fans um, because of, uh, in parentheses, significant financial Impact to the country. Trust me, young, fledgling professional golfers are not on the radar of this government, which is just, just criminal. We're, um, you know, we've, we've all got young people in our lives that you want to go out and be able to pursue their dreams and, and chase what they're, they're in love with, what they're passionate about. And unfortunately, there's a whole generation here of young professional golfers. That's what you got me on to talk about here. That were just about to kind of jump on planes, go overseas, try and find themselves, go and be the Ryan Fox of about five or six years ago. And they haven't been able to do that. Um, a, because they haven't been able to come and go. A lot of them are staying with their parents. Um, you know, they, they haven't got their own houses. They, all they're doing is just trying to chase a dream. And so, um, you know, unfortunately for them, they can't go and play some of the mini-tour circuits. They, 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 they can't go and try and qualify for different tours if they're going to do that they've got to pack up seats and and go and base themselves overseas now you know that's uh that comes at a, at a at a financial cost and um and with no certainty about their career and certainly no certainty about getting home and so look I I feel for a number of those young kids that there are the, the Daniel Hilliers that's managed to get out and certainly has proven himself and um has uh He's got some status on the challenge tour and has been going along well. Another cut made on the weekend. So hopefully he can forge himself over the next two or three weeks and join Ryan on the European tour. Um, Denzel Yetamir is, is one of those players that's also been trying to cut his teeth into me tour events in the US, but been battling to do so. He does so at a significant cost, just trying to... Chase's dream, he played there at the old course last week, but there are a number of kids that maybe haven't quite got to that level yet, they've been stuck back here, and so therefore, the uh, the, the role of the to events, the, the Pro-Am circuit here in New Zealand becomes incredibly important to keeping their games sharp and, and, and giving them an opportunity to make a couple of bucks and, and be able to... You continue their dream, and unfortunately, with the news yesterday, as cryptic as that was, there's no certainty that these Charles Tour events is four on the schedule, and the New Zealand Amateur between here and Christmas, Smithy, and they're all up in the air at the moment. So, look, I feel for some of those young kids that they um they're having this stage of their career completely thrown up at the mercy of uh, of the government and their restrictions.
2: Phil Tatarangi joins us every Tuesday. It's fantastic. Uh, he's also got his own show, of course, here on SENZ. Number one in golf uh, in terms of uh, the go-to guy for us here on this station. And, and, of course, I think probably for anyone in New Zealand. Finger on the pulse. Phil Tatarangi all the time. Teared up with Phil. Seven o'clock Saturday morning. Phil, thank you very much, as always.
4: Thanks, Smithy. Just going to throw a, a father and son combo in there for you. Old yep. Tom Morris and young Tom Morris. Between them, they won the first handful of uh, the oldest championships in the game, the old, old, uh, the, uh, the old uh, claret jug at the, uh, yep. at the Open Championship. So these are a couple of uh, a father-son combination well, for you.
2: Harrison Marker has texted in. Harrison Marker has texted in. Phil, he said it's number one on his list. Tom Morris, old and young, both multiple major winners. So how do you go on that?
4: There you go. Good to see you, here, yeah, Harrison's got his finger on the pulse from the of girls.
2: <laughs> Good on you, man. Thank you. It's Phil Tatarangi, folks. Keep those uh, texts uh, coming in. Double eight, double three. A lot of the combinations are just fantastic. The Lathams in the cricket, the Meads in the rugby, Ken Griffey and Senior and Junior in baseball, Michael and Mick Shoemaker, are, a shoemaker in racing, a motor racing, of course, from Jared. Ah, truckload of them. Uh, yeah. We'll talk about that uh, after the break. Nine forty-four here on SENZ.
0: He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Here, Nothing gets past Smithy. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Here nine
2: forty-nine. Uh, we've got uh, after uh, the news at ten. Um, we've got uh, Dan Shamir, of course, who's the Breakers' head coach, and they are putting together quite a nightless, little United Nations-looking roster the season coming up so we'll, we'll talk about that I might ask him too about uh, he did very well he's an amazing coach did exceptionally well uh, at coaching in his native Israel I just wonder what the standard of basketball is in the Israeli league compared to say um, the, the league here you know um, I, I, the NBL I just wonder how, how strong it is and if it's uh, comparative at all we shall find out from uh, Dan Shamir what we're finding out from you there's a lot of combinations that have come through. Uh, this is an interesting one from Steve because I read uh, on the website this morning that there was a famous horse, um, and, and a racehorse, and, and his son, uh, were, which were also uh, related quite clearly as being his son, but they, they were champions together. So that was in one of um, the pundits around the world. Uh, and someone's just come in, Steve's just come in and said, how about Sir Tristram and Sabelle as a father and son combo? Goodness me. Uh, yeah, how about Sir Tristan and Zabir? They've had a lot of luck in life, I'll tell you that. Um, Tom Morris, old and young, both major winners. Uh, the Manning family, four generations uh, shortly. When Archie Manning gets a, a gig in the NFL, that's American football, uh, that'll be grandfather, two father, sons, grandson. Uh, what about the Earnharts? Dale Earnhardt, senior and junior, NASCAR uh, superstars. So many more to choose from. You're dead right, uh, Harrison, there. Cairns, Rosberg, Shoemaker, Lulawai, Ali, Sorensen. What about that name, Sorensen in New Zealand softball? Absolutely outstanding. Uh, the Turners, that's um, uh, interesting because the Turners more so uh, in terms of brothers. The Turner brothers, Jacques and uh, Gilles Villeneuve, Max and Jos Verstappen, Kevin and Jan Magnussen, all Formula One drivers. Motor racing. Has the most incredible pedigree of family involvement—fathers and sons and grandfathers—and it's something we'll talk to Greg Murphy about uh, in our regular slot with him this week. Just why that is, yeah, obviously because you're born into it, and it's such a dominating factor in your life. I guess you can't avoid it. But I, I imagine, John, over the years, some—you uh, know—you just don't necessarily pick up on what, on what your dad does. It, it might even turn you away if it was so strong. You might want to say, "I don't want this life." But man, are they strong in pedigree and motor racing?
0: Yeah, what what happens? Uh, kids just—if uh, your dad's a driver, do they just let you drive when you're a toddler? You know, because they're just so good. It's so easy for them. It's not a dangerous thing when you're a professional driver. You got so much confidence. You like get in there, son. Put your f- you know foot on the pedal. Feel the feel the revs and just go for it. So it's amazing a motorsport. It's way more than any other sport, would you say, Smithy? And maybe in America as well, it's quite common for. Uh, fathers and son combos as well an American sport. Maybe it's like because they're a whole junior, senior kind of thing and you follow in your father's footsteps a lot in America. So, yeah, it's a lot of them coming through. Very enjoyable. Yeah, Meads,
2: rugby and basketball, the Meads'es. Uh, Clarks and rugby, the Littles and uh, rugby, Latham's in cricket. That's from PJ and Tamuka. Uh, and Neil says w- Walter and Sir Richard are number one on my mountain. Walter Hadley and Sir Richard Hadley Father and son there Great pedigree, the Hadleys of course uh, Great pedigrees in multi-picking Certainly not in my family 9.53 here on SENZ
0: From behind the stumps To behind the mic, you're in safe hands It's Mornings with Ian Smith On SENZ
1: You got to know when to hold Know when to fold Know when to
4: Know when to walk away to
1: Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today.
2: Shock horror probe. Yesterday we got a Monday multi-home. Goodness me. Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the Patriots $1.33. The Sounders, they were very comfortable over Colorado at uh, $2.10. And Portland Timber got up uh, very late in the piece to beat into Miami at $1.83. Both those last games were in the MLS Five dollars eleven, a winner. Right, let's move on to Tuesday's version. Uh, the NFL today: the Chargers to beat the Las Vegas Raiders at a buck fifty-five. Uh, overnight, the Mumbai Indians to beat the Rajasthan Royals in the IPL at one fifty-six. Uh, and here's something just a little bit out of left field, and that's a very bad pun. It's a baseball one, uh, Japanese baseball. In fact, the Oryx Buffaloes to beat the Hokkaido Nippon. Ham Fighters, on behalf of John Day there, the Nippon Ham Fighters. That's a $1.59 with a $3.84 return. The Harris family in cricket. The Harris family in cricket. Mario and Michael Andretti. Nelson Piquet and Nelson Piquet Jr. Motor racing. Uh, that's from Ken. Uh, and uh, another gentleman comes in and says, Smithy, should they, just, they should just run Cup Week. If Tamaki the can uh, incite illegal activity without consequences, why well, guess we can't have our cup and show week? And I would imagine, there. whilst it, doesn't, it sounds a little far-fetched, that is a genuine thought from a lot of people down there in Christchurch. If this guy can organize mass, mass rallies, particularly in the area that is most affected and attract people, surely, surely, without any ramifications, he can have a race meeting, an AMP show, two hot dogs, goodness me, and pony rides. Come
0: on, let's get into it. Ten o'clock here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith.
2: Uh, scNZ mornings uh, it's 1003 here and uh, the breakers have secured their third and final import player for the upcoming Australian NBL season and to talk about the squad now and how preparations uh, are coming along as the breakers head coach Dan Shamir good morning to you Dan thanks for joining us good morning good morning uh, Jeremiah Martin your latest signing he's played uh, in 18 NBA games what what can you tell us uh, about Jeremiah and why you signed him?
6: Uh, Before we get to Jeremiah, the whole uh, situation came about when uh, we had to part ways uh, with uh, Ty. Obviously, we were not actually planning on uh, adding uh, the third import right now. We were about to go uh, into the NBL season with the roster we had, but uh, once... We separated from Ty, we just added, we replaced him with uh, Jeremiah, who we are excited about. His uh, toughness, his overall skill, he's a two-way player who plays both defense and offense, and uh, I think he's also going to be a guy that blends into our uh, character uh, of the team, not only from basketball standpoint.
2: How hard was it parting with Ty, and, and how how heavily involved were you in, in talking to him?
6: It was tough, hundred percent. It wasn't easy. I'm not going to hide that. We um, just have the secure Ty for uh, two more years, and uh, thought we were going to have a very strong foundation with him and. Uh, We all know how good of a player he is. And uh, in addition to just having a guy from here, from the country and from the city, uh, that was a big thing for us. But it was not, obviously, as we all know, a basketball-related issue. And uh, it's a very personal issue. So, obviously, we were all very much heavily involved in it, but there was nothing we could really do. We we didn't uh, push or force anybody to do anything but it didn't do, and once we understood that he would just not be able to play in the NBA, it, it just had to be done.
2: You've had uh, two other uh, overseas signings in the form of uh, American Peyton Siva and Hugo Besson from France. Uh, all uh, uh, point guards. How is that uh, going to dictate the way you have your starting five?
6: I think, um, first of all, the starting five is not the most important thing for me. Um, I believe that a lot of great players are coming off the bench, and uh, more important is what, who finishes the game for you and who plays more minutes. But uh, I think I have a pretty good idea of who is going to, generally speaking, uh, start. Uh, if it uh, doesn't mean time, it's not a very big thing. We have a lot of uh tools to use and um, you know for our type of uh, system it's great to have multiple players that can handle the ball create play pick and rolls uh, create for others it's just an advantage and we're happy we're very happy that we have uh, that possibility
2: we talking to uh, head coach for the breakers uh, Dan Shamir this morning uh, on his imports and his uh, new look squad uh, with with that in terms of your starting and and those bench players, the quality bench players coming off the bench, does that, that I guess, indicates that you will be able to play a fairly up-tempo, fast game of uh, basketball throughout?
6: Yeah, we definitely, um, if you compare it to previous uh, seasons, then uh, last year was, uh, on so many levels, not a very good season for us with a lot of things that happened. But one of the things we definitely want to do, we never wanted to play so slow-tempo. And um, and having uh, multiple multiple uh, ball handlers definitely helps with that. There are other players that can um, get the first pass and push the break and make uh, plays in the open floor. That's a key. The second very big key is to defend. Uh, you cannot play up tempo without uh, getting stops. Not a other things. Most of the teams that play up tempo in the whole world do it after stops and not after meat basket so uh, this is probably the second uh, point of emphasis
2: for us. We hear the term, uh, Dan, in the, in the NBA, small ball being used uh, quite a bit these days. Do you think the days of those traditional big men dominating the hoop are over, or is there always, or always room for uh, seven feet in basketball?
6: It's not only about the centimeters, in all honesty. It's about uh, the skill set. And, uh, yeah, there are always changes in a uh, few directions. And uh, a lot of teams are being very successful with going very, very small and perimeter-oriented. Uh, so you definitely need to have the ability to defend these teams with your uh, big. I don't think it's completely uh, gone. You know, some teams have are still playing with uh, uh, through centers, uh, who are just interior players, this is still something that, uh, that you see. Uh, just that, uh, the definition just changes. I think we have the versatility. We have bigs that can shoot, like uh, Rob. And we have uh, bigs that can defend and are very fast, like uh, Yanni, who is uh, tough to defend. We, we struggled stopping him with his uh, foot speed. So hopefully we have words um, of infertility also on that, uh, from that angle.
2: Dan, you've had a wonderful record, uh, particularly coach in, in your native Israel in, in the basketball, of course. Um, you know, you've you won many, many titles over there. I Just wondering, uh, out of interest, where would you say the standard of Israeli basketball is in the league that you were involved in over there compared to the league you're coaching in now uh, in the Australian NBL?
6: Uh, if I'm comparing Australia to Europe in general, the Australian NBL, if I'm comparing that uh, generally speaking, then um, I think that the, the, the best teams in most of the good leagues in Europe, also in Israel, but not only, the good teams are stronger than uh, even the the, the the top two or three teams in the NBL, just because of the versatility of the squads and people, can sign seven, eight import players that just give them the freedom and the versatility to uh, build strong teams. But other than that, other than the top teams who probably play in the Euro League and the top competition, um, every team in the NBA would be pretty, very successful in most of these uh, leagues and probably top four. Um, we see players going from the NBL everywhere in the world and being um, you know, key players in very good leagues and very good teams um, makes you think that uh, the level is pretty much the same.
2: Okay Dan, just uh, returning to the breakers at the moment, under quarantine rules uh, as we speak, particularly in the Auckland area, what are you able to do with your squad if anything? I, I know you can't have um, anything like contact uh, in terms of basketballs, they've all got to have their own, they can't you can't pass them, etc. Are you able to do anything practical at the moment?
6: We're obviously in a bit of a uncertainty again. We This is also, uh, you know, we, we are heavily affected with, with, with everything that's happening in the world, like everybody. We're not uh, different than anybody else, but we kind of survived last season and uh, went through everything we went through hoping that uh, this season is going to be different and uh, normal. And then uh, two months ago, everything changed over here uh, in a very extreme way to a situation that we were not even last year. Um, And we are just in in the process of even knowing when we're going to start the season. It's going to be someday in December, most likely, and how our prison is going to shape up. Uh, luckily for us, all our players are in the country, over here right now, and we're able to keep them in shape a little bit and uh, being in a pretty good starting point to start a pre-season whenever and wherever it will start.
2: Okay, so uh, when, you, when and if you go to uh, Australia, uh, you had so many bases last season, around five bases in a very disruptive year. Have you been able to nail down a spot where you feel you will be able to set up shop and 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 work from?
6: Not yet. We're in the process of. Uh, it's not only us; it's the NBL and a lot of things that are happening in Australia that are involved in uh, making the decision. But uh, um, yeah, the the experience that we had last year, and nobody's here to blame because it's a new was a new experience for everybody. But uh, we have a lot to learn from it. We had to relocate eight or nine times and uh, basically uh, move there, thought we were going to be based in one place, and then two weeks into that, just had to start leaving off your suitcase for five or six months. So we definitely try to avoid that. And we're also, also um, basing ourselves on the assumption that it's, going to, it's not going to be as long as last year. That uh, This is going to be a temporary thing. We may have to start in Australia, play somewhere, but uh, the trans Tasman bubble will open at some point and we'll play here at home. Um, the idea of having the whole season away last year was extremely tough, and we believe that it's not going to be the case, and we're going to play uh, close to normal season in Spark Arena and other nice arenas here in New Zealand.
2: Well, it's starting to become a, a little area of urgency about the whole thing, Dan, because uh, pen, uh, penciled in for next month is tip-off for the season. Are you expecting that at the moment, or would you think uh, they might have to go back a, maybe until December and more condense the season?
6: We're waiting for this uh, for the announcement from uh, the NPL right now. um uh as far as I know, I'm not speaking, I'm speaking on behalf of myself only. As far as I know from pieces of information, it's not going to launch on, on November 18th, as it was announced. But it's not, it's not going to be postponed for too long. And uh, for us, it actually works works in our favor because we want uh, to play uh, to be uh, over there, obviously, for the shortest period of time is possible, and hopefully... With vaccination rate everywhere, both in Australia and New Zealand and with uh, the world moving in the direction of opening up a little bit and uh, going back to some kind of normality, we'll be able to uh, play home games over here. So my assumption that I'm basing myself on is that it's is going to be somewhere in December, but we are waiting for the final announcement by the NPL.
2: Basketball coaches in general, Dan, are great theatre. When the games are put on television, there's a lot of focus. The cameras go on basketball coaches, more so, I think, than perhaps in any other sport uh, in the world. Uh, I just wonder, you, you look at so many of them and they're animated, they, they don't just pace uh, the sideline, they actually stomp the sideline. What's the Dan Shamir way? I mean, you look pretty relaxed, when the games I've been watching.
6: Well, in all honesty, and I'm never shy of talking about it, I'm not relaxed at all. i I always been under a lot of pressure during the games and before the games. I think it's part of um, the competitive nature. But at the same time, um, me as a coach, I'm a logical guy on everything that I do. I need to make decisions, Everything, or most of the time based on daytime, based on um a logic and ideas and that kind of helps you with uh, behavior during the game Um I also try to stay away from being uh, the center of the show I don't think that the coaches are I think uh, uh, rightfully so the whole sports world has moved uh, in the direction that coaches are important but it's the players game and the players really dictate what's happening and they are the real owners of uh, the operation. Um, you know, sometimes things that you see on TV is not exactly who you are. Um, I think uh, sometimes behind the scenes I'm a little bit uh, different, but the, the bottom line is that I'm usually operating from my head and uh, therefore, you know, try to control my emotions.
2: Uh, just finally, Dan, uh, on the subject of television, uh, it's my understanding that uh, the Breakers are putting together a, a documentary, and that's um, at, at their own behest. They want to do that themselves. Uh, what can you tell us uh, about the, the documentary that uh, is either about to be made or being made uh, on the history of the club or, or the recent history of the club?
6: I can tell you that I can't wait to see it. It's uh, Whenever I see bits it, bit of pieces of it, a promo, uh, it excites me. I um, I've been in the business for twenty something years, worked in uh, a lot of great clubs, and I know how much um, fans and people around the team and people who love the team who love sports, love seeing the things that are behind the scenes. And this is in the Breakers. is the first time that uh, I'm actually in an organization that takes care of that. And um, last year. There were two episodes of a similar documentary about uh, the season. Uh, Everybody who watched it just loved it. Uh, This year was a very unique one. So we've been through a lot. And I think that uh, just uh, not being here and a lot of people who love the breakers will have the opportunity to take a look at what it was like. For us, obviously, it's great memories and a great way to reflect at our season. But for a lot of people, it's an opportunity just to see what is going on around the games. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting for anybody else who watches
2: it. Well, we look forward to that, Dan. And we look forward to the Breakers beginning their new campaign under your tutelage. Thanks so much for your time. Good luck uh, assembling that new squad and getting it in shape. And uh, we can't wait for tip-off. Thank you very much for your time this morning.
6: Thanks for having me. me.
2: Yep, thanks. Uh, Dan Shamir, the head coach of the Breakers, sounds like... uh, Uh, Everything's starting to come together nicely for them. They just need the opportunity to play, uh, like so many codes uh, around the country at the moment. Uh, 10.19 here on SCNZ. After the break, we shall have the panel for this morning. Mark Hinton wrote an interesting article yesterday that I read, and uh, Jeff McDaint, who didn't, but probably read it too. There you go. That's the panel very shortly. It raised my eyebrows ever so slightly, was the fact that when Sam Kane does join the All Blacks, he won't be captain. Did you find that just a little bit strange, or were you expecting that?
4: No, I don't think that's a surprise to me. The, uh, Sam Kane hasn't played any rugby since March 27th. Um, so, just two things there. I, I think he, you know, he. we know he's going to have an outing this weekend for King Country. So, um, fantastic that, just as a... As a side issue fantastic to see the spotlight on the on the heartland competition and a well-needed fillet for them after all they've been through but yeah but sam hasn't played a lot of rugby so um for starters he'll be eased back into things i don't think they want to throw that responsibility right on his shoulders when really he needs to concentrate on getting himself up to um up to match fitness up to up to test match readiness for one of those big tests on that tour So, uh, yeah, I think they're better just to leave things as they are, let him, I guess, re-establish himself in this group and then rethink it if if they need to. Look, the all-black captaincy, it is a wee bit of an issue going forward. If I I was, Smitty, I don't know what you think, but if I was thinking about some of the things we didn't do so well last weekend and the weekend before, I I think on-field leadership might be one of them. So I'm not sure that Artie Sevilla is the answer. Um, um, you know, uh, on a on a sort of permanent basis, and we understand he was just a fill-in. But I, but the captaincy, to me, is something that needs to be addressed. We need someone out there that can get in a referee's there around things like those Springbok tactics at the tackle. So captaincy is a big issue. But I'm not surprised that they're holding off with um, Sam Kane because he needs some time just to to himself.
2: Yeah, Mark, I couldn't agree with you more on the leadership angle, to be fair. I, I think it's crucial. It used to be the number one job in New Zealand sport, the most sought-after one and not dished out like cards in a game of poker. Geoff uh, McTainch, what, what's your feeling on it?
7: Yeah, g'day, you know, fellas. Um, yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think he's been out of the game for, for such a long time and, and really the world's evolved a lot since then and the, and the the situation the All Blacks certainly has too. So, um, it's important for Sam to get back in and play rugby, and um, and as Ian Foster said, find his feet in the group again. Uh, There's no question that he's held in high regard from a leadership point of view. But um, I think Artie Savia was uh, has been wonderful as captain. I think Sam Whitelock did a good job. Um, uh, even gave Aaron Smith a crack. Um, you know, he, without a doubt, he's he's well respected in the playing group, but. Um, such is that group, you've got to go back in, uh, re-establish yourself. And I actually think, uh, even though we have such a great amount of depth at the moment in the loose forward positions, in the loose trio, uh, that, that Sam Kane is perhaps, you know, I know we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, the differences in our loose forwards and, and, and a, a, the likes of an Adi Savia compared to Sam Kane, but I think what we saw against South Africa in those last couple of tests. I actually don't think Sam Kane would be a bad option if he can come back and get back to the level we know he can play at, um, and and, um, and be involved again in that loose trail. I think he might be the perfect fit uh, as someone we're looking for. We've seen the rise of Ethan Blackadder. Um, Sam Kane is, is a hard-edged player. We know how good he is over the ball as a fetcher. Again, can he get back to that level? I think if he can. Um, he can be a force again, and in the leadership side of things. We know how good he he has been as an All Black captain. Um, but uh, again, I think it's it's wise just to um, just to let him come back in and and um, and reassert himself.
2: Interesting uh, the selection mark of Josh Lord. I had to do a little bit of background information. I may have commentated on pl- on him playing one game. I I can't recall if that's absolutely truly the case. And I wonder uh, just how many players around the country have their bag bags packed, or have been told to get their passports in order just in case. Uh, if Josh Lord gets a call, who else might be in line?
4: Yeah, exactly. And and the, as Ian Foster pointed out yesterday, um, the sort of barriers that uh, were in place in getting someone, ironically, getting someone to Australia, uh, are not there for getting someone into Europe. Um, they can... Uh, players can be flown straight in, not having to obviously go through MIQ situations like they were in Australia. So even though they'll be further away, it's going to be easier for the All Blacks to call in injury replacements. And you have to think, jeepers, there will be some wear and tear as they play, get set to go another five tests on the bounce. Um, um, You know, and some of those at a very high level, Wales, uh, France, Ireland, up there on their home turf. So not going to be easy by any stretch for an All Blacks team uh, that we've seen in the last couple of weeks. Just, you know has a few fallibilities, shall we say. So, um, yeah, if I was uh, uh, playing well and a top-level player, I'd stay ready. Look, that was a bit of a left-field call. I agree with you, Yeah, uh, mm. Josh, if you think back to last year, even Quinton Strange and Perry Perry Parkinson were the, were the locks um, nominated as kind of next cabs off the rank. And here we have a young 20-year-old uh, who's been whistled up. What it is, clearly, is an investment in the future. And then Foster made that clear yesterday, so, you know, you're going to be fourth lock on tour. You might see maybe some minutes against the USA in Italy. Um, but really, you're there just to have, for them to have a look at you. He's a big lump of a lad from rural stock. They like the cut of his chip, as it were. So, um, yeah, very much an eye to the future, but uh, in, a, in a fluid position, shall we say, given uh, the locks they've had on their radar in recent times.
2: Mark Hinton, Geoff McTainch with us this morning on the panel. Going to take a short break for the news when we come back. uh, A couple more issues of interest to chat about. It's 10.31.
1: Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Uh,
2: Mark Hinton and Geoff McTainch with us on the panel this morning. And uh, Geoff McTainch, the romance and rugby are not uh, kind of words that go together very often, but uh, you were there. Uh, at Whangarei on Friday night, you saw Rene Ranger play his hundredth game, and you saw probably one of the biggest upsets of the season uh now and perhaps going forward, tell us about that occasion
7: oh it's sensational smithy and I, I i do hear that you picked that result as well, so good on you for Mm-mm. for for doing that uh yeah it was um it was a a great occasion for Rene Ranger and and I actually thought before that game i i was talking to Carl Tanana, and we both sort of agreed that. This could be a, a bit of a banana skin game for, for Waka, who so were travelling nicely um, up until that point. But you, you bring a guy like that back in, um, you know, the respect he's held in Titai uh, in, Tokoro, you know, he, um, he, he deserved everything that came to him in that game. And he really won the clock back played some great rugby. But it really, for me, shone the spotlight on, on the championship premiership system we have going at the moment. And I know there are a few people that think we should scrap it and just have the one log. Um, but it, it certainly showed, um, you know, it was a great advertisement for, for the provincial game and showed that, um, you know, on any given day, um, you know, the, the top teams can get knocked off. And um, I think Northland, I mean, they'd, they'd been brewing for a result like that for some time. A couple of weeks beforehand, they'd played well against Tasman up until about the 65th minute before they kicked into gear. So, um, you know, I mean, he'd been out injured, came back in, and it just showed his class, 35, and, and as we said during the broadcast, it. Uh, you don't often see a guy at that age uh, like Reno Ranger who, who picks up a super rugby contract, albeit an injury cover contract with the Crusaders. So, um, no, it was, was marvellous to see and, and um, to, to play a hundred games for, for your province um, is, is obviously a special occasion.
2: Well, Mark, uh, I don't often associate romance with rugby league either. I think it's fair to say, but uh, for the Panthers, there was the rom- there was the romance, of course, of of winning uh, on Sunday night, which was just so good. But for Brian To'o, that can't have been on his mind because uh, he proposed straight after the game. Rumours are he had the ring in his sock. I mean, goodness me. I'm dumbfounded. You can hear it. I'm dumbfounded. What did you make of it? (laughs) <laughs> I thought it was wonderful, as you
4: say, who says romance is dead in sport. I mean, what a fantastic uh, stage to get down on one knee at the end of the grand final. You've just won, you know, for really a, the fairytale team of the competition, or certainly one of them. Um, it was a wonderful end, wasn't it? And uh, um, Brian's uh, fiance, Moisha, uh, Crichton Ropati, uh, <laughs> was... Uh, it's fair to say Smitty swept away uh, uh, by the <laughs> gesture, um, <laughs> and and she did admit afterwards he's just really nice, which is which is a nice thing to hear. And she did accept, good on her for uh, completing uh, her half of of the bigger uh, occasion. But yeah, wonderful to see, wasn't it, Smitty? Uh, something you see from fans in the stands, but not usually from practitioners out on the field. So. I think uh, maybe a new trend could be being set here. Watch this space.
2: Uh, OK, then, uh, Jeff McTainch, I put this to Andrew Voss yesterday. He had no idea of the answer to this. What about for you? Had they lost, had the Rabbitohs got up, what do you reckon he'd have done, Brian, after the game?
7: <laughs> well, you reckon he would have rethought his decision to, to propose. I, I, well, I'm sure he, he still would have done it, but perhaps, perhaps, not on that, perhaps not on that stage on the field. Maybe uh, maybe wait till a, a quiet moment a day or so after. But uh, now I just, the fact he had it in his sock, I, I hope he had ring insurance going into the grand final because the last thing you want to do after winning a premiership is go, oh, where's, where's the ring? And then have to bloody pick, pick <laughs> over the field. Um, that would have been a sight, but no, good on him. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was great to see. I was obviously, obviously on a high after winning the... The grand final, but yeah, it would have been a slightly different story. I would have, would have imagined if had they had they lost,
0: fellas. Uh, John Day here, producer. I think we've just lost Ian Smith, he's just um, absolutely frozen on our screens. Are you still there, though? <laughs> he's um, yeah, we're talking yeah. about father son combos this morning, the best in sport, me and Smithy. Do it every Tuesday. Our Mount Rushmore, and this week, Mark Hinton is fathers and sons in sport. Of course, Smithy is one himself, New Zealand cricketer, and his son Jared was an All White. So, have you got any combinations in sport, uh, fathers and sons that that spring to mind? Yeah,
4: two. Well, three for me: two in New Zealand and, and one further afield. If, if I'm thinking of father and sons, um, and I'll say on cricket. I don't think there are... Is there a greater father and son combination in New Zealand sporting history than the Hadleys? Walter, mm. of course, and those wonderful sons. Richard, Dale, and Barry, uh, of course, Richard would probably the greatest cricketer we've ever produced um, uh, from unbelievably good stock. And, on a, on a rugby side of it, you know, one close to my heart, and I've followed his story in recent years as Aroni Clark, Clark and his son yes, Caleb. Yes, What a wonderful story those two are, and Caleb is just such a chip off the old block of Aroni, um, you know, a, a fantastic footballer and a wonderful human being, and uh, you can say that for both father and son, and both been great contributors, and, of course, Caleb's story still to, still to be told and another chapter coming after his... Um, not quite so successful stint in seven, so we'll see what happens here with the son. And, and, and my favourite sport of, uh, of basketball in the NBA, there's a ton of father and sons that kind of runs in the family there, but you can't go past the Curries for me. Um, father Dow was a sharpshooter for the Charlotte Hornets back in the day, and he's produced two unbelievable shooting sons, and Steph, of course, who we all know, and Seth, who's now carving his own uh, history in the NBA. So the, the Curries for me ultimate father and son, but there are plenty of them, including Joe Bryant and his son, who we all know, sadly, now no longer with us, Kobe
0: Bryant. Yeah, RIP. Jeez, they came off the top of your head pretty quick, Mark, putting you under pressure. Jeff, <laughs> have you thought of uh, any that you enjoy yeah. that you'd have on your Mount Rushmore? Yeah, I, I
7: did have uh, the, uh, Ronnie and Caleb uh, there, but look, I I, I love the fact that Grant Fox was one of our great great All Blacks and he's got a son who's carved his own path and, and doing wonderfully well on the on the professional golf tour as well, Ryan. I, I, he's a great bloke, Ryan Fox, and I, I just love the way he operates. And I just, I like, you, you, you read the banter between them, and if, if you hear from Grant Fox and, and, and what he talks about, uh, about the way Ryan's playing, he's brutally honest, and I just love that, that back and forth. Um, yeah, both have done, have done lots for, for New Zealand sport over the years. Um, so, no, great to see that combination, and i just have to throw it out there. Um, Smiley Barrett, he could pick any one of his sons, you know, so yeah, you have to put the Barretts in there as well um, they've done so much for New Zealand rugby as well and continue to do so so no, that would be my two um, the Barretts and the Foxes
0: Oh you've done bloody well there Jeff. very topical too because we have Ryan Fox on this morning and it was a great interview and this has been a great panel, cheers fellas, appreciate your time No worries mate. cheers, cheers. That's the panel done for another day. I'm just, uh, yeah, finishing that off for Smithy, who's... Screen is frozen in Havelock North where he lives and broadcasts from and so hopefully we'll be able to get him back up and on the line and back on shortly here on SENZ. It is 20 to 11. Awesome Uh, and of course a good time to remind you that Text of the Week wins a temper pillow worth $299 and the best text of the month will win a temper queen package including a temper queen mattress, temper queen adjustable base and two temper pillows valued at $10,000 which is quite amazing. We do have a lot of texts, and I think we do maybe even have Ian Smith on a phone line. Smithy, are you there? Hello, guys. Yes, got you, Smithy. Good to have oh, you back,
2: mate. Got back on here. Yeah, i have done, done well. What happened there. I mean, I was just thinking to myself, if it's cost Zuckerberg millions upon millions every second that he's uh, off air with Facebook, what's it going to cost us? But thank God, just a total blackout, and we're back. So I'm alive. Uh, the defibrillator has, not, a defibrillator has not had to be used this morning uh, in the Smith household, and I, I don't know. I, and Mrs Smith, when she gets home from work, will be questioned again about having to pay the power bill, but apart from that, we'll... We'll just keep working on with John. Now, just just tell me at what stage have you taken my show to now,
0: please? Uh, I just took it to doing the temper credit that we're going to give away um, a pillow every week to the yep. best texter, and every month we are, for the best texter of the month, we'll give away that $10,000 yep. package. And then I was about to read some texts about the father-son combo that have been flooding in this morning, Smithy. Yeah, Rocko, Rocky
2: Johnson and Dwayne the Rock Johnson, uh, Julio Chavez Sr. and Jr., John and Tyson Fury, of course, combat sports, um, you know, uh, okay, as a rugby historian, the only all-black test cam- captain father and son is Frank and Anton Oliver. Note, uh, Andy Dalton's dad, Ray, was a midweek all-black captain. Um, I enjoy, uh, Smithy says, uh, Jared, uh, enjoying the father and son theme this, uh, theme this morning, amazing how many combinations, but I can't help but think of dad and I won the men's four ball at our local club years ago, still special for Dad and I, nothing like the superstars you've read out this morning, but the memories of father and son together playing sport, Jared, uh, thank you very much for that, um, you know, so there's plenty of, of uh, that have come in, and at this stage, uh, missed uh, many off that I've put in my top four, John, so uh, How did the panel finish up? Were the boys were the boys happy with you?
0: I mean, I, I got cut off from them, but all good. Yeah, they got a bit deflated when it was just me and they couldn't talk to you anymore, Smithy. But um, no, they had some great father-son uh, combinations, which was great from Mark Hinton and Jeff McTanch. Uh, they stuck very much to the traditional rugby sports. And Jeff even came up with the Ryan Fox, Grant Fox, which was very topical, of course, because yep. we had Ryan on this morning, which was cool.
2: Yeah, I, I must admit I did consider Ryan and Grant Fox. Uh, and um, you know, I I I I'm certainly not out of my combination whatsoever. Uh, but uh, Joblin's, Penn, and Reese and stock car racing as well. That's from a Gary Stone. Hey, thanks, Gary. Uh, first time texter coming into us. Uh, so yeah, really. Uh, uh, we'll we we'll, we we'll be doing that. What John just after eleven thirty this morning. So yeah. Um, I, I look forward to your top four, my top four. Uh, in the meantime. Um, With all transmission now resumed uh, We shall be talking to Louis Herman Watt very shortly And then our visit to the TAB
0: He's the voice of sport in New Zealand Nothing gets past Smithy This is Mornings with Ian Smith On SENZ
1: The loveracing.nz update Your home for everything Thoroughbred Racing Visit loveracing.nz Racing's biggest fan
2: (laughs) Well, Louis Herman what if you look up Incentivise in the dictionary, you might find something interesting, but if you look it up in the
1: race book, you might find some money. Man, is that horse going good? Oh, deary me, Smithy. We talked about it uh, last week. I just wanted to circle back because we preempted this this duel, right, between Very Elegant and Incentivise, and two horses that we both had very fond memories of. I was with the mare. I was with Very Elegant um, in the Underwood because uh, I turned with it should say, uh, because... I just thought she had the runs on the board, the group one runs on the board. I thought she'd be too tough for incentivizer. There was no doubting that he was a freakish and is a freakish kind of horse and a stayer that just has a ticker that not many do. And when we spoke to Peter Moody on Saturday morning, he kind of agreed though. He said, look, she's the, she's the one because she has got the group one runs on the field. She's done it. She has out toughed. she's eyeballed horses and out toughed them in the straight. So when the race was run and there was a pretty hot tempo up front, like they went, they went lengths faster than a usual Group One pace up front. Um, I was thinking, okay, this is kind of interesting. It didn't necessarily look to the eye to me like Very Elegant was struggling in the run and was uncomfortable. And bear in mind, she is quite a fidgety and has been known to over race and produce incredible performances previously. But when incentivized kept giving down that straight, and Young Werther looms up to it. And this is incentivos who's on the pace and powering along. When he keeps giving and then actually kicks through the line, and I think he was pulling back away from Young Werther, it made it look like he wanted to go around again. And with that sort of pace, like the best way I can describe it would be that's Usain Bolt hitting his top speed and then not slowing down like still gaining, it's kind of freakish, you wouldn't expect to see it. So with that in mind, looking forward to the Caulfield Cupsmith, I thought I'd do a bit of a market check, and um, well, we kind of preempted it about what the markets would do and how this race and the weekend gone could shape the rest of spring. And incentivizes into two dollars ten all in in the Caulfield Cup on uh, the TAB website. Head of Montefiore at thirteen dollars. Young Werther on the second line of betting at nine dollars. That is two dollars ten. That is so short. It's nearly evens money for the Caulfield Cup. And in the Cox Plate, where we know Very Elegant's going, well, if she produced a barnstorming run and off that tempo managed to knock off Incentivize, she would have closed in on the market on Zaki. But she hasn't, she didn't, and Zaki is now a dollar eighty favourite in the Cox Plate, where, of course, your beloved Cool Sign Mav is going, uh, Very Elegant on the second line betting at $8. So I think it's going to be a really pivotal race we'll look back on throughout the Spring Smith. And I just wanted to highlight it again because what Incentivize did was nothing short of freakish.
2: It was, it was a fantastic run, uh, and it augers well for it going the extra distance too uh, to win the, the Caulfield Cup. I, I just thought it was a fascinating run. I do know some blokes, uh, funnily enough, that, uh, one in particular, who might have got a decent old slice of it at 21s, uh, Louis, Ah, uh, ha, ha, I know the bloke. Wow. He might have he passed on some of it to his mates as well. That's what I'm hearing that's what i'm hearing louis coming in to the show and uh, some privately as well don't forget warwick and tom taylor when it comes to the top four uh father and son combinations and how about the barry family grandfather father and son true truly top names in, in new zealand sport as well yes some people don't have uh, as much to do as as others uh, good morning to you gary look go look after your grandchildren uh do something worthwhile cut some firewood or something something therapeutic Take your mind off things. Go take the dogs for a walk, or you know, you know what I'm saying. Uh, anyway, moving along, here, right here, and now, John uh, Sam Kane. Now, here's my take on the Sam Kane issue, and uh, you can scoff at it if you like. I'm the All Black captain, named the All Black captain, so numero uno, and it's his job. Uh, and there have been others uh, who have caretaken the job in his absence. I don't want to walk back into a rugby team, uh, the All Black rugby team, and not be captain. I want to go back and establish myself back. If I'm good enough to be in the team to play, uh, if I'm coming off the bench, I can't lead them out. But if I'm in the team to start and to play, then I want to be captain. I want to lead them out. I want to re-establish my authority uh, and who's running this cutter. So that would be my take on it. I cannot imagine if Richie McCaw was to go and start, having had an absence in the game, uh, him going back in the team and not being captain. I, I just can't see that. Uh, B.J. LaHore back in the days, Buck Shelford, all those great all-black captains, once they're in the team, because that is that is a, surely a highly part percentage of their job. The leadership is part of their job, not just the number on their back. So you assume the job in its full capacity, that means you're captain.
0: That's my take. Yeah, I just, I'm just i right with you, Smithy. I just think it makes it more awkward. Like, you are the All Blacks captain. You come back in, and you're not the captain. So what, do you sit there at team meetings, and Artie's up the front? Already, we've been told by several people that Artie was a, a reluctant captain in terms of his leadership style. He's very much a follow-me kind of guy. So you're Artie Savia. Mm. You're sitting there. You're giving the team the pre-match speech or whatever, and Sam Cain's in the huddle with you, and you're telling him the captain's speech. It just... Doesn't make any sense, Smithy. To me, I'm with you. I think if he plays, he's captain, isn't he? Like, it's not something you need to ease back into. Sure, playing is. Six months uh, out of the game, ease yourself back in with Heartland Rugby. That's cool, but I don't think you need to ease yourself back into the captaincy. He'll be desperate to be captain no. again. I would be thinking so. Uh, and that's the way he should be. It should be itching
2: to lead that team out. Uh, the England and Wales Cricket Board uh, will meet this week to decide whether the Ashes Tour of Australia This winter will go ahead. Now we're talking here about one of the iconic clashes in all of world sport with the deepest of traditions and now we're coming to a point now where they'll decide on whether that particular chapter of it will go ahead on the basis of of whether uh, some of the families can travel uh, and ignore or avoid quarantine arrangements and any potential bubble issues that they might have to live in The players that were presented with the proposed conditions for the tour on Sunday evening. First test uh, begins on 8th of December. Series is due to end on the 18th of January. So, yes, they're away from home for a long time. But that is part and parcel of playing in the Ashes. It used to be that that would supersede most other things. To have the opportunity to play in that in the hardest form of the game, uh, in the harshest environment from an English point of view, uh, used to be enough. It used to be enough, but it's just another illustration of where we sit in this modern world and the importance um, of feeling safer. Do they feel safe going to Australia? Goodness me, England's been through enough. They should know what COVID means, but they should know what it's like to get through the other side of it because they've now got grounds with capacity crowds. They've now getting on with life. I just, I just, um, I mean, I would absolutely hate this Ashes series. I would would treat it with disdain almost that this Ashes series would be called off because of the fact that having avoided COVID and made arrangements around COVID, your players don't want to be there uh, because of the fact that uh, they they would rather be uh, with their families in in a different environment. The the welfare of the players was the reason that they didn't want to go to Pakistan. Remember, it wasn't so much the danger uh, that New Zealand were uh, possibly going to experience They weren't targets, the England Cricket Team weren't targets. It was the welfare of the players. Now, I'm trying to get hold of my great friend, Michael Atherton, who's very outspoken on this, and hopefully we'll get him on the show very shortly, not today or tomorrow, but maybe before the end of the week. We'll get him on the show to talk about his feelings on it. He's been very, very outspoken on them pulling out for those reasons and perhaps not going on this tour for those reasons. Surely you could find 15 cricketers in England, young, old, whatever, who would be prepared to wear the Lions on their shirt, wear the blue cap, and go out in front for England. Okay, they'd be massive underdogs. They wouldn't have the experience, but the series would go ahead. The chapter would be written in some form or another, but they could find them. I'm absolutely sure. So uh, if the top players don't want to go, so be it. They will be able to find 15 cricketers to form a squad, I am sure, and a coach and a manager to handle it.
0: What do you reckon? Yeah, would you be happier with that than it not go ahead at all? Have like a baby blacks kind of situation with the England cricket team and Aussie would just trounce them, wouldn't it? It would just be one-way traffic. Well, it could be the making of some of them. It could be the
2: making of some. They might find some superstars. Uh, they might find uh, guys that are going there with a free licence. What a way to play the Ashes with a licence. No one expects you to, to win, but you're actually going there representing England. Someone might score 100. By the making of their career, they might discover a, a young fast bowler or a spinner of note. Uh, an all-rounder um, you know something good will come out of it uh, and, and I just I, I would hate uh, and if they don't go a lot of things bad come out of it, out of it from my point of view I know I'm, I'm sitting here safe in New Zealand little mm. old hub bubble in Hawke's Bay it's not really a bubble because we've got on with life but that's to me that's that's my way of thinking from a sports jock point of view I hate that term too uh, <laughs> but you know just looking on I'd hate it not to go
0: ahead. Yeah, there. I think I'd England's point, Smithy, is that they've been playing test cricket all around the world. I think they've played 15 or 16 tests since COVID. Uh, so they've been in and out in bubbles all around the world. Australia have played four test matches during the COVID period all at home. So they haven't experienced this COVID bubble situation, this bubble fatigue like the England squad have, so their point is, hey Aussie, it's all good you saying just come down here, but how's about you relax your borders for a start and let us not do the two week quarantine and how's about you actually get out there and play some cricket and get out there in the in the COVID environment and see how you like it. So it's turning into a bit of a slanging match between England and Aussie and it just adds a bit more spice I guess, Smithy, to the Ashes, which we hope go goes ahead because it's not just awesome for Aussies, it's awesome for us too to tune into the ashes
2: well, how's, how's about this fact then John how's about the fact that some of those test matches that England played uh, during that time during this horrible bubble situation that they've had to live through how about, how about those that some of them were in their backyard at home and teams have gone about going to, to England and during those conditions to play against England and England, did they ever think about that Probably
0: not. No, they're the English. Uh, it's very much, um, you know, got the blinkers on. Just having a look at what what's involving them at the moment, and I think that Pakistan decision showed where they're at. Uh, you know, Ben Stokes is already not playing any cricket. Uh, he's he's gone, and um, others are making noises at Joss Butler uh, and Captain Joe Root as well. So, if you were a betting man, which I know you are, Smithy, what would you say the chances are of a full strength England team going to play the Ashes? Ten percent full strength. There will be
2: there will be antagonists. There will be objectors. Um, that's what kind of uh, people cricketers are. So uh, there there will be that. Um, I'll I'll just my final comment to you is two words: players associations. Players associations. Tim Mills after the break from Canterbury Racing. Top bloke wants things to go ahead regardless.
0: From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's
2: 11.16 here on SENZ. Uh, News uh, coming out from the government yesterday. Didn't really give uh, too much hope or uh, really a lot of optimism, I'm sure, to people who have organised big events. And they don't get much bigger uh, than Cup Week in Christchurch. And a man who's been instrumental in organising that from a thoroughbred point of view for it uh, seems like Forever joins us on the line this morning. Tim Mills, who's had to deal with a, a few problems. But Tim, uh, what did you make? Good morning to you. What did you make of yesterday's announcement? Did it give you anything at all? Yeah, good morning, Ian. Um,
4: look, I suppose I was never good enough to be 99 not out at on, on any event. But uh, like for someone who may have been 99 not out overnight in a test match, I think that's how we're feeling at the moment. Uh, there wasn't a lot of hope yesterday, to be fair. Um, we still have to be optimistic because you wouldn't be in the racing game if you weren't optimistic. So we are still sitting here with uh, with some hope that we may get to level one in time for uh, for New Zealand Cup week uh, because really level one is the only way that it can work. The gulf between level one and whatever version of level two there is is so significant as to be uh, be monumental.
2: So Tim, in, in all practicality, how much time do you need? Have you got a, a cut-off date where you just say, you know, we'll race, but I'm afraid we just can't make it a, a public entity like we'd like it to, to be.
4: Look, I think we can wait till early November. We've um, Probably what we've had to put up with over the years has worked in our favour because so much of the temp- temporary infrastructure has been at Addington on the Tuesday and it comes to Riccarton on the Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. And of course, Friday's a public holiday in Christchurch. So we've been under pressure setting up for our cup day basically forever. Um, so look, if we were to find out say on the 2nd or 3rd of November that we were able to go into level 1 we can put the place together, I've got no doubt Um, so we're really just on tender hooks um, Smithy just waiting for a decision to be made that gives us that go ahead
2: See this carnival um, I know you really enjoy people coming in from uh, from outside uh, the country uh, in all areas, all outlying areas there's a history of people making it a week away it could still exist quite comfortably uh, without those, uh, those people coming from afar. Now, there's enough people in the South Island and the Canterbury region to make it successfully and worthwhile.
4: Yeah, well, we sold out with a crowd of 15,000 on the Thursday before uh, Christchurch Casino New Zealand Cup Day last year. Um, and, look, even if we were two or 3,000 people down on that, if we were to get you know, 11, 12, 13,000 people at late notice, that's still going to be a huge result for us. Obviously, the gloss has taken off if we don't get our uh, our regulars and our mates from uh, all around the country because it truly does bring people from Kai Bluff and uh, that's you know you, you know Smithy. All sports are great uh, catalysts for friendships, and racing's one of those uh, one of those sports. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know it will be sad if we can't have all those people come, but we can still make a very good event if we do get that go ahead late in the piece.
2: You mentioned the trotting side of things; that's huge, but of course the AMP. Uh, Society are probably uh, hanging on uh, any sort of thread just like you. How closely uh, as a sort of a triumphant do you work together on this? Because you've all got the same week, you've got the same sort of market involved.
4: Oh, we work very closely, Smithy. It's, um, you know, the the harness guys are great mates of ours. Brian Rabbit, the racing manager, is a personal friend of mine um, at Addington. Uh, Brian Thompson's a champion guy, does a great job there. The guys at the show, we know a lot of them, a number of their board members we know personally and we've worked closely with their management over the years. Um, You know, It is is three key components to make the overall engine and we, we want everyone to be able to be up and running and make it work as well as possible. But to answer your question, we get on very well together, we work closely together and we need all three components firing to make the week really work.
2: So it has to be it has to be basically level one for you, not level one with conditions, basically level one yeah
4: well, of course, we don 't know what conditions are. I mean, if the government came out and said uh, you know there is a new level one with a limit of five or six or seven thousand people, then we'd work to that. but uh, we are certainly hoping, and i've got my very, eight, my elderly aunt saying the rosary. That will be level one because my mother's no longer with us. So uh, well, I'm still hoping there's a bit of uh, bit of faith that might pull a, a rabbit out of the hat there. But it really does need to be the level one that we we've known it to be able to get the crowd of fifteen thousand.
2: Currently, uh, I think around some racecourses uh, they're letting owners on. Um, they're letting uh, crowds of uh, depending on the, the type of facilities they have got available and toilets etc. Uh, crowds of up to 100 in groups. What, at the bare minimum, could you exist on?
4: Well, we've sort of got a little bit of tentative planning. Um, we, you know, we've, you've got to do that in the background. We think we could probably get somewhere between 8 to 10 uh, little pockets on the race course that we could get 100 people in. Of course, we're just trying to find out what the announcement yesterday means because there is a um, there was sort of the indications there that you could have uh, bigger, bigger uh, crowds but of course, all that's dependent on whether your room can hold it. Uh, most of our rooms were seated and served, and uh, and the one metre segregation is probably limited to around the hundred. Though we have got, you know, a couple of rooms, we might get 150 or 200. Uh, but you know, that's what we'll be working for.
2: You know, Tim. Um, just I, I don't want to draw you into anything political because you know you, you've got a you know you've got to be seen to be. Um, uh, <coughs> receptive of all ideas etc but I, I waxed on lyrically this morning just after 9 o'clock because this is coming up, you know, this will nearly be a year by the time you have your carnival it will nearly be a year since you've had a case down there anywhere near Christchurch what is the, is there a general feel of frustration about this because this is a city on the rebuild, not just the racing side of it, it's a city on a massive rebuild here
4: So I had, a, I don't know what happened the phone just cut out for a couple of seconds you said huh? something about flip polit- you, you waxed lyrical this morning, what
2: was that? Yeah, yeah, I had a go this morning. I, I just, uh, on your behalf, really, no one will listen to me anyway, but I, I just had a cracker because it's nigh on, nigh on a year by the time you have your carnival since you've had a case of COVID anywhere near the South Island and anywhere near Christchurch in particular. Uh, and, and my point is that you're a city on the rebuild that desperately needs iconic events to proceed. What is the feeling with the, with the commerce leaders in that, uh, around the city?
4: Oh, look, Smithy, I'm not, I think, you know, um, politicians are elected by us, we have our right to have our say, and quite frankly, I think the government dropped the ball. This time last year, when we went to level one, uh, that's when the swing should have come out, we should have all been getting vaccinated for the very next day. You know, to me, they had the they'd done a great job up until that point, they'd uh, set themselves up for the winning try, then they had a four-man overlap, and they didn't just drop the ball, they put it down and sat on it, because... In my humble opinion, we should have all been double vaccinated well before we got to this second lockdown period. And then maybe we wouldn't be having this, um, this drama now. I, I accept I don't understand all the nuances behind it. But as a, a simple Kiwi joker, that seems a pretty obvious thing that could have been done in September, October last year that might have prevented all of us, not just a racing club, but all the other sports events, the hoteliers, the tourist people from suffering as they are now.
2: Uh, Tim, let's look on the bright side of things, OK? And, uh, I mean, it must be tough for you guys to do it from time to time. But the synthetic track, I see it on television. It looks very good. Up and running. What, what's your uh, your take on it so far, mate?
4: Yeah, well, you've caught us today. You might have heard a bit of background noise. I don't know. But we're uh, having our first set of trial meetings today. We just had the third heat. Uh, we had the first heat just before 11 o'clock, over 1,400 metres. And uh, Mike McCann and Rohan Madu, local trainer and jockey, won it. And uh, the next, that was a 1,400-metre race in 125.3, and the next was a 1,200-metre heat in 110.1. Uh, it's gone really, really well. Um, the, the, uh, the whole project's gone very, very smoothly under the guidance of Fulton Hogan and uh, Renee Nielsen from uh, the Surveyor, or the Engineer, sorry, from Cambridge. Um, it's, we've been up and running since the middle day of the, or sort of the Thursday of the Grand National Meeting, so about seven weeks all the feedback's been really, really good. Like anything in racing, there's the odd comment, the odd thought about how things are debating at time to time, how you groom it best to suit the majority of the trainers. But we had a trainers meeting last Wednesday and uh, we were sort of going around in a, in a little bit of a discussion and two of the local trainers, Lance Robinson and Ross Beckett, basically said, why are we trying to discuss it? It's going really, really well. You know, end of scoring. And uh, we had jump out uh, last uh, Wednesday and we've got trials today. So we've got 76... Um, 76 uh, horses running today, a third, what have we got, 13, uh, 16 heats. So um, all of that's going pretty well. So, you know, we, we've got training up and running. We've got, obviously, the rest of the summer and everything to train on it. We'll be racing, you know, May, well, certainly scheduled racing from May next year, but maybe we'll have uh, racing earlier. don't know what unfolds. But it's, a, it's one of the toolboxes we've got now. It's investment in the future, Smithy. It's, it's changed the landscape of our race course. We've now got the big 2,400-metre turf track. We've got the 1,900-metre synthetic. We've got a 1,760-metre grass training track. Um, and so mm. we've sort of got the race course set for the next uh, 25, 30 years when we're, we're on a Zimmer frame having a beer watching what's happening.
2: Well, good God, Tom. I'll tell you what, in 25 years, I'd love to have a beer with you on a Zimmer frame. I promise you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> uh, well, you certainly have to be optimistic. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> Come on, I'm going to say that.
2: No <laughs> I know, mate. I know exactly where you're coming from. Uh, just in terms um, of meetings, how many will it give you more more available race days when when it's all finalised up and about? Yeah,
4: we've already got six extra race days scheduled for this season, starting in May. So I suspect when the dates come out for the following season, there will be uh, some extra race race dates in uh, in August, September, October. We're going to have a mix of feature meetings and uh, industry-style meetings. You know, when we come to planning next year's Grand National meeting, we'll probably look to uh, have a bit of a mix uh, over the 30 races we run. You know, we might be able to run some synthetic track uh, championships or finals or, uh, or something along those lines. We're, we're hoping to have a sort of uh, a feature um, synthetic day, perhaps two weeks before the national, and then have a, a the feature stake level at the national carnival. So, you know, we're hoping to be able to mix and match and plan and, and have a really good combination of racing on the two, 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 two types of going. Remembering of course is the very best racing uh, and the quality races will always be run on our big 2400 metre turf track but the synthetic track just gives us another another tool in the toolbox to train horses every day, to trial as we are today and to run extra race meetings and hopefully we have about 10 or 12 extra race days in time.
2: Tim, it's been great to catch up with you. Look I can be honest with you we on the station here uh, planning to bring the station down uh, for a two or three days to overcut weeks. So uh, if everything's going to plan, uh, I shall be able to have you uh, a beer with you, perhaps not on a Zimmer frame this time around, but uh, I look forward to catching up with you and look forward to your input with us this morning. Uh, good luck with everything you've got planned, mate.
4: Look, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to be on the show,
2: Ian. Uh, Tim, Tim Mills there, folks. Terrific man who's been doing great things. Uh, for racing in the Canterbury area uh, forever it seems and going through the frustrations like everyone organizing big events at the moment. let's uh, hope it works out in their favor and I say that not, not just uh, for the racing folk, for the people in business in Christchurch the people with accommodation, restaurants etc that absolutely depend on this week. not so much uh, they're not looking for you know a, a massive amount here all they want. Is enough to survive on, and, and a, 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 an amount that they can, you know, that, that they can take heart from. That's it from my point of view, anyway. Uh, a couple of texts uh, before the break. Um, Frank and oh, I've read that one. Oh no, Frank and Anton Oliver, Stephen, and Joshua, and Brett, Morris, and Rugby League. Roy and Mark and Barry Purden. We're talking dynasties here in those names. Um, perhaps that's another one for for life coming up in the future on the show. Fathers and sons, the Lathams. Um, mm. you've been fantastic with your response someone's come in and said what about the English cricket team whoa what about that five tests at the Gabba how good would that be Oof. five wins for Australia they never lose at the Gabba uh, right here's it's 11.29 just ticking over to 11.30 you know what time that is uh, it is time to stump smutty folks get on the blower 0800 150 811 and uh, have an opportunity to win at least 50 bucks today from the TAB
0: this week you also get some Daytime Revive from Sleep Drops, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements, on online one from Christchurch, a man who I'm sure would like Cup Week to be on, Alistair. G'day mate. How you got? Very good, very good. Uh, you probably would have heard that interview there with Tim Mills from the Canterbury Jockey Club uh, talking about whether Cup Week will go ahead or not. Uh, he's going to give it to early November. What do you think's going to happen?
1: Yeah, I'd I'd love for it to be on. Um, I'm 23 years old, so it's um, certainly a week I pencil in the calendar each year, and um, yeah, have it have a good old time and a good punt, and obviously lose a lot of money. So yeah,
0: perfect. Yeah, yeah. And I used to remember going to those when I was about your age, even younger. I used to have to borrow my dad's suit. So you'd see a lot of young guys in their late teens or early 20s wearing baggy suits. Are you that type of guy, or you uh, got your own suit these days?
1: Um, yeah, big fan of the Op Shop Tweed, actually. Um, <laughs> been have been, been running those for the last couple of years, and they um, they still go strong. So. Oh,
0: and you've managed keep to keep them on. them on, and you haven't lost them at all in a drunken stupor at the end of the day.
1: Oh, there's a couple of, um, you know, patch holes and burns <laughs> and things like that on them, but...
0: It all tells a story. Oh, it certainly does. Yeah, cut week, one of the great weeks. Let's hope it will go ahead. But right now, you've got more important things to deal with, and that's beating Smithy for 50 bucks from the TAB and some sleep drops, uh, daytime revive. So your categories today are boxing, rugby, and cricket. What are you going to go for, Alistair? Uh, I'll
1: give the rugby one a go. Rugby, solid.
0: Smithy, Alistair, sounds, you know, a bit, bit younger, so you might have experience on your side here yeah but your quest, yeah your questions tend to go more historic so
2: Alistair might be in the he might be in the guessing bracket, but I am for most of them, I've got to say anyway, so
0: we'll, we'll give it a go. All right, let's go. Very much a Ranfilly Shield theme this week. Alistair, of course, Hawkes Bay putting it on the line against Tasman this weekend. so your first question is which province owns the shortest tenure for the Ranfurly Shield?
1: Uh, Taranaki.
0: One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Confident, but not correct.
2: <laughs> wow. Well, okay, Alistair. Now, I kind of think, I'm tossing up between two here. I'm going to go either Hawke's Bay, because I had it for a very short period of time, at one particular gesture or ge- venture. Yeah, what the we looking for anyway. Uh, and the other team I'm looking for is Counties Manico. I'm going to go for Counties Manico.
0: There you go, Alistair he's got it he's out caught no Smithy no no and I knew you wouldn't go for the Magpies so it was Hawke's Bay six days in 2013 they beat Otago Uh and then they lost it to Counties Monaco. so I think Taranaki may have had it for seven days I think there's a few teams with seven Uh, but Hawke's Bay six days in 2013 so Alistair still alive question number two which province did Auckland beat by a record score of 139 points to five for the Shield in 1993 Hang in Waikato. there, Alistair. Waikato.
1: Waikato.
0: 139 points to five for the Shield. Auckland beating Waikato. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Very incorrect. Smithy. Al- Alistair, I'm not
2: guaranteed to get this right myself, but that is that answer
0: goes along with your tweed
2: jacket for the race. <laughs> that is a shocker. That is that is an op shop answer if I've never heard one. Um, right, I'm going to go East Coast
1: everywhere body nowhere oh. and uh, the rest of That's him on the way back to the pavilion
0: No, North Otago got pumped 139.5 which is a record score for the Shield so Alistair means you're still alive in that tweed jacket a few more holes to patch up but question number three who holds the record now I'll be astounded if you get this right who holds the record for the most tries scored in Ramfilly Shield matches Alistair mm.
1: Um, I'm going to go a wee bit left field. Is it, um, Shannon Chase, the uh,
4: Hawks Bay winger? One of the worst
7: things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
0: I'm not even sure whether I've heard of Shannon Chase. Was that just a shout out to one of your mates? Smithy, have you heard of Shannon Chase? No,
2: Chase Tear Tear I've heard of. Um, I'll have to think, I have heard the name. I have heard the name, but not as a prolific Renfilly Shield try scorer I'm going to go to uh, Auckland for this because uh, props probably the, the most productive Ranfurly Shield era. Uh, I'm going to throw in Terry Wright. How do I look at Terry Wright?
6: Just oh a couple of chips down the we get
0: right in the slot under where it goes. You've got that right. Terry Wright. 53 tries in Ranfurly Shield matches which means Alistair from Christchurch you've been stumped on the last delivery so it jackpots to tomorrow. Sorry mate. No worries at all gone burger young man he was confident smithy you know but you just did yeah him. well i just sort of
2: uh, i mean i have i've got five out of six wrong in the last two days but i i just kind of figured it had to come out of auckland or canterbury because they've had the longest tenures and when they have have won they've won a lot of matches by big margins which tends to suggest four or five try try episodes for some of the wingers so uh back in those days the wingers were most often well, more often than not, the top try scorers. Things have changed a wee bit now, but that was the case. So, Alistair, please um, make another effort before Cup Week. Uh, we'd love to be able to give you 50 bucks, which you could turn into 500 bucks. You could actually uh, wear one of the nicest suits on course, uh, and then, of course. Uh, you'd be able to achieve the real goal for going to the races. It's
0: 11.38, yes John 11.38 here on SCNZ. I don't want to, I don't want to send Alistair packing with nothing because he was quite entertaining so I've given him some sleep what? drops, Smithy. I've given him some sleep drops, sleepdrops.co.nz it's for all ages, lifestyle ta- uh, stages and sleeping challenges always read the label and take as directed Sleep Drops Auckland. So he's going to get some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. Good on you
2: Alistair, well done. When we come back uh, it is Mount Rushmore Fathers and sons, John Day and I have got different ones from you, so we don't want texts of abuse. It's everyone's got their own opinion. That's what I'm saying. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. 11.39. Well, a lot of these come, uh, these father and son combinations from the same sport. But my number four doesn't. My number four involves boxing and NFL. Good stuff. All over.
7: And Kenny Norton has uh, stopped. for on here in the fifth round? Is Craig wide open in the flat. Norton took him out of bounds with a
2: solid tackle at the 22. Norton has become an outstanding linebacker. So there you have it. Uh, Ken Norton Sr., of course, World WBC Heavyweight Champion of the World. Fantastic, Kenny Norton. And his son, Ken Norton Jr., three consecutive Super Bowls. Three, not one, three consecutive Super Bowls for the Norton father and son combination as well as a belt in uh, heavyweight boxing. So that was my number four. John, you want to throw my number three in as well? And go down the list, or are you going to chuck your
0: number four? Oh, I reckon we go one for one. I quite like the one for one um, because quite often okay. I get showing up um, <laughs> because that was a great combo. A combo I didn't know. A heavyweight boxer who fought all the greats, didn't he? Ken Norton Sr., mm. like Ali Fre- uh, Foreman, like he fought all the greats. And then Ken Norton Jr., one of the great linebackers, had no idea. So I'm sticking with motor racing, which has been very, very topical this morning on the Tex. And look at the toe that Michael Schumacher's got this side, Coulthard goes to cover the line, Schumacher goes down the
2: outside, and they just about touch, and once again, oh they're so close!
0: Fantastic, and the crowd has gone
5: berserk.
0: Mick Schumacher crosses the line to win the Formula 2 Championship of 2020. Michael Schumacher, everyone knows him, and Mick Schumacher just starting to make a name for himself. Won Formula 2 last year, Formula 1 driving in his rookie year this year for Haas, not going as well as his dad, but man, how do you live up to those expectations when you're Mick Schumacher, but a lot of people saying he could be. He could be one of the greats as well. So my yep number four father and son sporting combo on Mount Rushmore, Michael Schumacher and his son Mick Smithy. Mick hasn't quite done it yet, but I think he will yeah. go on to do great things in the future.
2: Yeah, what a role model he has to finish on. So, And all of these stories are about role models as well, to be honest. Um, my number three, I go to uh, not only the same sport, but the same position. This is quite intriguing.
1: Pass, on another! Wonderful save from Schmeichel. And here it's in, dangerously. And it was the defender who got the touch and Schmeichel had to get across again.
2: So there you have it, Peter Schmeichel, 292 games for Manchester United. Not only that, he played for uh, other uh, football clubs around the world as two, but 129 games for Denmark. And now he, he proudly looks on at his son, Kasper Schmeichel, who's played 384 games for Leicester already in uh, a run of about nine seasons uh, and 74 games for Denmark and particularly had a good World Cup last time around. So this is uh, what I'm, uh, in fact, it was Euro we just had, wasn't it? So Casper uh, Schmeichel to the to the four there for Denmark. So Peter and Kasper i
0: have been another one you didn't think of. No, that was cool. That was really cool. Um, same position and doing the same things both for your country. They must be national heroes mm. in Denmark. Absolutely. 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 I don't have um, audio for my number three, but I've gone to Rugby League and I've gone with the Morris Twins, of course, we all know how good the Morris Twins were, right? Uh, Josh and Brett Morris, uh, Brett especially, such a good try scorer, both retired this year, but not many people know their dad, Slippery Steve Morris. Um, great producing those twin boys he himself was a premiership winner in his very first year with the Dragons won the Clive Churchill medal that year in the grand final one of the great halfbacks and I just think when people watch uh, the Morris twins they think great those brothers are awesome where did they come from I just don't think Smithy they know just how good their dad Steve Slippery Morris was so I'm going the Morris clan for my number 3 Okay, number 2 for me and this amazes me because of all the people
2: that have texted him this morning I'm not sure anyone's mentioned these two, maybe one has, but I don't think anyone has mentioned these two as Kiwi icons in the same field. Going some 10 rows back into the crowd, and that's the fifth six for Hans Cairns. This is unbelievable. It's getting almost monotonous.
7: Cairns, they're hitting it with only one hand. And that's the 100. Well done, Chris Cairns. Brilliantly played, and what a way to bring it up. Smacks through the offside for genuine four. Big crowd in here at the basin. And uh, Chris Cairns acknowledges the crowd and indeed the Australian players.
2: So that was David Hooks describing Chris Cairns as 100. Always get to shivers when I hear David Hooks's voice. What a great guy he was taken from us way too early. But that's by the bye. Uh, Lance and Chris Cairns, yeah. I mean, really? Really? No one in New Zealand texted in and said Lance and Chris Cairns? Iconic. Absolutely iconic. Chris Ken's one of the world's very, very, very good all-rounders. And, of course, Lance Ken's in the same bracket as well. Match winner, uh, superstar, icon, oh, cult figure, the Excalibur bat. Didn't get a mention. Can't believe it. That's my number two.
0: Always overlooked that team of the 80s, Smithy, aren't they? You know, when it comes to these ah. lists, no one texts them. In fact, there was more oh. texts for Ian Smith oh. and your son, Jared, than there was for Lance and Chris Kens.
2: Yeah, well, um, not in the same bracket, I'm afraid. Proud, <laughs>
0: proud, but not in the same oh, bracket. Oh, damn it's, proud. It's yeah. awesome, okay, awesome. Uh, what you yep, won't be proud of along. is my pick for number two, and this kind of is real borderline, uh, but I'll play it anyway.
1: I'm standing here with Stu Hart, who is the father of the newly crowned champion. He is absolutely a compliment, Simon. Excuse me, Mr Hart. Could
2: I have a word with you? Well, here is the champion himself. This is a highly emotional
0: scene. A lot of people will say it's not sport, professional wrestling, but I will. I will. Those guys get injured. Those guys chuck themselves around. So Brett the Hitman Hart and his dad, Stu Hart, who started Stampede Wrestling in America. And he had a place called The Dungeon where he trained professional wrestlers and would make grown men cry with his wrestling holds. Brett Hart went on to win several world championships, which are all legit smithy. They may know who's going to win the fight, but they don't know how to take the fake bumps because they are very real. So I'm going Brett the Hitman Hart and Stu Hart from Calgary, Alberta, Canada for my number two father and son sporting combinations, asterix sports entertainment. Oh, absolutely absolutely genuine, John. I mean, just iconic. I mean, who
2: wouldn't have put wrestlers? Who wouldn't have put wrestlers um, in their their bracket? I wonder if Haystacks Calhoun had a son that wrestled at any stage, huh? Really? Really? Sorry, mate. I panicked Uh, Anyway, I panicked. Yeah, you pushed the weird button there, brother. Uh, How about this one then? Uh, Number one. This is number one for me, without doubt. This is our dynasty. This is an absolute dynasty, of course, in motor racing.
7: Richard Petty is now pulling out in front. Darrell Walsh is in second. AJ Boyd is in third. Here they come. Walsh trying to slingshot.
2: Okay, the Petties, uh, Lee Petty, uh, the old man, uh, the father of Richard, uh, the grandfather of Kyle. He won NASCAR three times. Uh, Kyle Petty, stock cars, uh, he's won 120, 829 races. Uh, he's had 829 races, I say, in the 30 years he was involved. Uh, eight wins, 173 top tens. But the king, the man they called the king, Richard Petty, 1,184 races over 35 years, 200 wins, 712. Top 10 finishers. To me, the petties are number one for me uh, looking back on that lot. But as we say, John, it's all open to personal
0: ideas. And number one for you is... Yeah, mine are very personal. And because these guys are two of the most hardest working rugby players the world has ever seen, they there's barely any audio or commentary of them because they weren't the showmen, they weren't the guys to take all the credit, but they were great leaders and bloody hard workers. And I think New Zealand's just starting to fall in love with one of them. And my number one father-son sporting combination of all time on my Mount Rushmore, Todd and Ethan Blackadder. You beauty, all the way from Collingwood, top of the south, pride of the world, what a combination. There you go, Smithy. Good God. Good God. It's time
2: for a break.